connection card in there that looks like this. A great way to stay in touch with us as well as the prayer section on the back. And this is the part of the service where we receive the offering too. And we don't pass anything. And so there is a box if you're on campus in the back. If you have a physical gift, there's also the online ways to give as well that's available to us as we, as we worship really through through giving. And I want to echo something that was shared earlier on in the announcement video as people were coming in. This coming Sunday on October 16th, really a big deal. We have hundreds of moms and daughters from all over central Iowa that are coming here to New Hope Church for this True Girl event, which isn't just an event, it's for events' sake. This is about the gospel going forward and speaking truth into the lives of these moms and these daughters from 6 to 12 years old. And I would just please beg, would you please be praying for this important event? There are, there are people and girls here at New Hope, Adel, Dallas County, and beyond that are coming. And this is the truth they need to hear to lift up Jesus and to get their focus on him. And so be, please be praying for that. And then also, guys, ladies too, but especially the guys, dads, husbands, this is a chance you have a role to play. And that is when you come next Sunday, the tour bus is going to be here, a big trailer is going to be here, and they completely transform this facility into something pretty special for the girls and for the moms. But we need, we need some muscle. And so if you've got some time in the early afternoon, about maybe about two hours or so, as well as in the evening after it's done, about 9.15 or so, uh, would, would so appreciate the help. The, the tour that comes in, they're all ladies, all of them. And so they would appreciate help. All you got to do is on your car, just write True Girl, even TG. That's enough for you. We'll email you this week all the information. And at that point, you can say, oh, I actually have a commitment. I can't. But, but we would like to build a base of, of guys that say I'm all in to help this happen for the moms and the daughters in my life uh, or my grandchildren, whatever the case may be. So that card is useful for that. And as you're dropping this off in the back there, don't forget we have the devotional guide that accompanies the sermon series. And so if you have not picked one up yet, uh, please make sure you grab one of these because this will be a big help to you in the sermon series that we're going through. Speaking of, please, as we say every Sunday, grab your Bibles, paper or digital, and turn, if you would, to Mark chapter 3 is where we're going to be this morning. Mark chapter 3, and we are going through a series called The Servant, and Jesus truly is the servant. This is all about him. We are taking several weeks this fall to learn about uh, who Jesus is so that we can live more like Jesus. This is our heart's desire. This is our mission. We exist to help people find and follow Jesus corporately as a church, but I hope it's your, also part of your personal mission statement that this is who I am and this is what I want to do. I want to point people to Christ. I want to help people grow and be introducing to Jesus, but also following him. And so far, we have, we have seen Jesus in action. I mean, Mark just is quick clips, and it takes us from one thing to the next, and we see him, we see him loving and serving and healing and teaching and ministering uh, to people all over. And the people of that time are completely and utterly amazed. There's never been anyone like Jesus. And what it is doing is it's, it's confronting them with a question. It's the same question that we get confronted with today. And that is, who is this person? Who is Jesus? Today in our text, we're going to be seeing Jesus interact with three different groups. We're just going to move through each group. And what's interesting is that each group had a different perspective about Jesus. Each group sized him up differently and, and had a different view of him. And, and the views that these three groups had, interestingly enough, relates to the same views that people have today. And so I want to ask you this question this morning. Which view is yours? How do you see him? How do you view Jesus? And I want to encourage you because you probably align up with one of these three groups. Which one? Why? 
And then we'll do some things with that as as we sort of wrap up the sermon at the end there. So let's go ahead and get started. We're in Mark chapter 3, verse 13 is where we're going to pick up. We're going to look at our first group right away. And the first group is the 12 disciples. The 12 disciples, and here's what it says. It says, Jesus went up on a mountainside, and he called on him, uh, excuse me, called to him those that he wanted, and they came to him, and he approached Uh, He appointed, excuse me, 12 that they might be with him and that he might send them out to preach and to have authority to drive out demons. This isn't just a sort of uh, an announcement piece. It's just moving on in Scripture. There's a really important scene here where Jesus calls the 12 disciples. I put some parts in red there on the slide. I would encourage you to, to underline those or circle those in your own Bible because this is the job description for the 12 disciples. But it's the same job description that you and I have. It hasn't changed here. Look where it says. It says, number one, is to spend time with Jesus. He called them that they might be with him, to, to, to be together. And, and these men, they got to, to live with Jesus, travel with Jesus, listen to Jesus, have conversations with Jesus, uh, watch him and observe him in ministry. They got to go through hard times with Jesus. They got to go through all those experiences. See, living as a disciple, what that means is to follow him wherever he leads. And that's what those 12 guys got a front row seat to do, to follow him as a disciple anywhere that he leads. And this is very different than the crowds. See, the crowds would show up and to say, serve me or inspire me. But the disciples were following. It's a very, very different thing. It's a very different calling. But also notice that the experience of the 12 and spending time with Jesus and learning from him and growing, it isn't just for them. Because the second part of the job description is, Jesus says that he might, we'll go back if you would, this verse there, that he might send them out, in other words, to go out and do ministry. For the disciples, it was about to go and preach and, and, and to drive out demons. He has a calling for you too. Maybe for you, it's about um, foster care. He's calling me to that. Maybe for you, it's about working with teenagers. We got to hear Pastor Jake just a minute ago. Or teaching, or jail ministry, or starting a ministry. I don't know what God's calling is in your life, but where he, he leads us and prompts us step by step and we just follow him as he, as he uh, leads us and guides us in what he wants us to do. You see, the pattern there is important because the pattern is the same today. Your job description and my job description is the same. It's to be with Jesus so that we might go out and serve Jesus. That's what it looks like. Another, and a great example, and it was just there, so go back to that if you would, the idea of the sponge. You've probably heard this before. The sponge soaks in and then squeezes out. And if it doesn't squeeze out, it can, at some point it'll stop soaking. But this is what it looks like for us. We, we gather, we scatter. We, we soak in, we squeeze out. In other words, we, we come together and we gather together and we soak in. And it's not just for you. Everything that you learn here today or in your small group is good for you, but it's not just for you. That you would go out to wherever God has called you to squeeze in those places and to have impact and blessing in there. We gather and we, we soak, we scatter, and we squeeze. That's what it looks like to follow Jesus. That's the pattern that Jesus has for his disciples. It's the same one he has for us. And it's the reason why we have, and many of you may not even know this, but we have a discipleship strategy. We call it our discipleship path. And and I'm not going to get into the weeds of what it it is, but that's what it looks like there. And, And the strategy is really built around this very idea that we desire that that people come to new hope and they don't just come and sit and consume and just view and and observe, but that you are actively engaging, that you're here to 
soak up. Why? So that you can go squeeze out somewhere else and minister to other people. And the discipleship path is predicated on that. And so what we have built in is primary places where we believe, not the only in the church, but the primary places where we, we encourage you as adults to go and to be a part of because they're wonderful places to soak in. Sunday morning, a small group, an adult class, or a ministry team. When you're a part of those environments, those are places where you and I grow. And did you know that almost 80% of adults who call New Hope home are on the discipleship path? Almost four out of five adults are somewhere engaged where they're, where they're soaking up and they're growing so that they can go out and minister to other people. And that's an important thing. And this is the example we see of what it looks like to follow him and really what it looks like to grow. See, the 12 disciples are a wonderful example to us in their view of Jesus because here's why in your first fill-in-the-blank this morning, hopefully you have a bulletin and pen and you're ready to go. For the 12 disciples, Jesus was Lord. And they grew in that, but, but, but they were, he, he was Lord to them. The text here in Mark continues on, but what it does is list the names of the 12 disciples next. We're not going to go through that list because this past summer we did a sermon series on the 12 disciples. You can go to the church website under sermons, and you just click there, and you go to the sermon series called The Twelve, and you can enjoy all those messages that we did and learning about who these guys were. We go every Sunday just taking one on at a time and learning about them. So you can go check them out. But the text there has the list of the 12. I want to jump now to verse 20 and our second group. So the first group, the 12 disciples, they considered him Lord. Here's our second group. The second group is actually going to be Jesus's family. Look with me at verse 20. It says, Then Jesus entered a house, and again a crowd gathered, so that he and his disciples were not even able to eat. And when his family heard about this, they went to take charge of him. What that literally means is to arrest him. That's a strong word. They went to arrest him, for they said, here it is, he is out of his mind. This is family. Here's your next fill in the blank. For Jesus' family, they thought he was crazy. They thought he was crazy. And here's this awkward scene where Jesus is in Capernaum and he's ministering to people and he's, he's teaching people and the family shows up and they decide that he's lost his marble, marbles. And so, so for them, it's like grab the duct tape, hog tie the guy, and let's get him out of here. Like clearly he needs a lot of chamomile tea and professional help because he's lost his mind in terms of what he's doing. This was the view of their family here. It is noteworthy here that Jesus' family, they did not immediately believe. They didn't. In fact, James and Jude, and those names ring a bell, is because they penned New Testament books later on. His half-brothers, they definitely didn't believe. It took the resurrection. After the resurrection, the light switched on, and they said, oh my goodness, he's not just big brother. He's creator, he's Lord, he's savior, he is all of that. And their lives dramatically changed. But at first, they thought he was crazy. Let's look now at our third group. Here's our third group. It's the religious leaders of the day. Look with me at verse 22. It says, And the teachers of the law who came down from Jerusalem said, He is possessed by Beelzebub. That's Satan. That's just a name for Satan. It literally means prince of demons. And they said, well, here it is. They said, by the prince of demons, by Satan, he is driving out demons. And so here you have for the religious leaders, your next fill in the blank. For the religious leaders, Jesus was evil. 
You seen the different views? I mean, they thought not that he was crazy, but, but that, that Jesus literally, the charge they made against him is that you're in partnership with Satan, the things that you're doing. Three groups, three views. One says you're Lord, one says you're crazy, and one says you're evil. If this sort of reminds you of something, C.S. Lewis, years ago, he tapped into this in his book, famous book, and I would highly encourage everybody to read it, called Mere Christianity. And he said this. He said, A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things that Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would be either a, a lunatic on a level with a man who says that he is a, a poached egg, or else he would, he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the son of God, or else a madman or something worse. Lewis famously posited the idea that he is either Lord, lunatic, or liar. And we got to choose. We all have to choose. They had to choose back then. We have to choose as well. We have to, in a sense, what they had to do and we have to do is you have to make sense of the data. Here's a guy who showed up who said he was God. And he did things that only God can do, but he's a person. So what do we do with that? What, what are we supposed to make of this? And this is where the people of his day were wrestling with it. And again, you and I have to do it as well. What do you say? Who is Jesus? Now, Jesus is going to have some words, some strong words, actually, for these two groups that did not consider him Lord. He first was going to take on the religious leaders, the ones, remember, that said that you're evil, that you're in partnership with Satan, He's going to say some things here that make uh, no mistake of how he feels about their charge against him. Look with me at verse 23. It says, So Jesus called them over to him and began to speak to them in parables. He said, How can Satan drive out Satan? If a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. If a house is divided against itself, that house cannot stand. And if Satan opposes himself and is divided, he cannot stand. His end has come. In other words, Jesus is saying, like, you're, you're charging me to be in part of being in a partnership with Satan. Like, how can that possibly be? I'm actually working against him. He's saying this makes absolutely no sense in terms of the absurdity of the charge. I, I mean, for, for Jesus here, this would be, the, this is the height of insult, really. And what Jesus is calling out is he's saying, look, if you have a kingdom, and frankly, let's be more personal and practical in terms of our lives, and you have a family, and there's division there. Division, by the way, means two visions. It means you're going in different directions. You are divided in vision about where we're going, whether it's in marriage, whether it's in parenting, whether it's in faith, whether it's in any finances, anything else in terms of the practical things of life. When there's division, you're, in, you're divided. Two visions going in different directions. And this is what Satan's calling out here. If the kingdom is divided, it's going to crumble. If the household's divided in the same way, it's going gonna, it's gonna to crumble. This is inevitable. This is where it's going to where it's going to go. And then what I love here is that Jesus gives the gospel in one verse. Verse 27, I would circle this verse, underline this verse. Sometimes we read through it and we're like, "Huh? Eh, what does this mean? This verse is so profound and beautiful and important. Here, here, let's read it together. Jesus says to them next, he says, In fact, no one can enter a strong man's house without first tying him up. Then he can plunder the strong man's house. Now, what's going on here? 
Jesus gives an allegory. What I mean by this is Satan, and you can write this in the margins of the Bible if you want, but Satan in here in the allegory represents the strong man. The strong man is Satan. The, 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 the house, if you will, is Satan's domain, this present world that we live in. And then the items that are in the house of, of Satan's domain, the strong man's house, these are people that have been taken captive. It's, it's sort of, it's the allegory. It sets up the, the stage in terms of what's being communicated. But the beautiful part is, as we just read, one who is stronger than the strong man comes in and he binds up the strong man and he plunders the house. What does that mean? He rescues people. He pulls them out. I love Colossians chapter 1, verse 13, for it says this. It says, For he, Jesus, has rescued us from the domain, dominion excuse me, of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the son that he loves. The rescue. He comes in, binds the strong man. He pulls out the captives and brings them out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of his son, his kingdom. This is a beautiful picture. This is the gospel. Jesus is stronger than the strong man. And the thing about the gospel is we never get tired of it. Jesus came to defeat evil and save evil people. How did he do that? Well, the cross. And the, and the thing to remember here with Jesus, and we see him humble and teaching and just as, as a man when we read through the Gospels, but do not ever forget he is powerful. Do not ever forget that he is stronger than Satan. He is stronger than sin. He is stronger than death. He is stronger than evil, stronger than sickness, stronger than anything else that you can have in there. In fact, Jesus is so strong, he became weak to defeat the strong man. He became weak on the cross to, to bind him and to rescue captives they were under under the uh, the strong man's spell and control if you will this is who jesus is and this is what the gospel message is all about jesus is stronger than the strong man and then jesus says something and honestly it's freaked out christians for two thousand years uh, maybe you as well but we got to talk about it look with me at verse 28 jesus says this he says truly i tell you People can be forgiven all their sins and every slander they utter, but whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will never be forgiven. They are guilty of an eternal sin. He said this, to be, he said this because they were saying he has an impure spirit. So, so here's this famous verse, the, the unforgivable, the unpardonable sin, the blaspheming of the Holy Spirit, and there's, there's sort of this low-grade or high-grade anxiety there has been for centuries among Christians. What does this mean? I mean, what if I commit that and then, and then I'm stuck? And, and what happens here? What, what's going on with this? I want to help. Blasphemy in the Holy Spirit. What this is referring to, what this means is a, it, it, it's a willful, it's a repeated, it's a repeated rejection of God. That's what it refers to. It's, it's calling who he is and what he does, namely the Holy Spirit, evil. And it's out of that place, out of that uh, worldview and conviction about who God is, that he is evil and the things that he does is evil and this willful rejection of him, it's out of that place that that person is unwilling to be forgiven. You see, it isn't that Jesus is not willing to forgive. It's that that person is unwilling to be forgiven. That's the unforgivable sin. That rejection of him. 
The Lord's given us free will to make that decision. And so, so let me say it this way. If you're a person who you are concerned about committing the unforgivable sin, you haven't done that. You haven't committed it. If you're like, huh? Just think about it. You'll get that in a second. If you're concerned about committing it, then you haven't committed it. Because this is about the person who turns their back and says, not only do I reject you, but you also are evil. And what you're doing is of that. This is what that's about. I want to close, the passage close, really. We're going to look now at verse 31. Because Jesus needs to circle back, and he needs to talk with his family. Remember the family that called him crazy? The family that showed up and said something, and maybe that was hurtful to him, but he will respond to his family. And look with me at verse 31. It says this, Then Jesus' mother and brothers arrived, and standing outside, they sent someone in to call him. And a crowd was sitting around him, and they, they told him, they said, Your mother and your brothers are outside looking for you. Who are my mother and my brothers, he asked. And then he looked at those seated in a circle around him, and he said, Here are my mother and my brothers. Whoever does God's will is my brother and sister and mother. Here we have Jesus responding to this, and, and he's firm, but he's much more gentle with his family. And he, he, he basically says, we just read, he says, I'm not leaving. I'm not leaving. Because his father had sent him on a mission. His father had a calling and a purpose on his life. And he was there to love and to minister to people and to live out the mission that the Lord had for him. And, and I don't know if you read this passage, but some of you, while I don't know all your stories, some of you can relate to this because some of you have gone through an experience where because of your love for Jesus, uh, family, family that you love, whether immediate or extended, they, um, they might have some harsh words for you, some hurtful comments for you. You're taking this Jesus thing way too far. Uh, you know, this church thing, you're way too serious about that. Or fill in the blank, and, and that's painful when you have, uh, when you have those types of experiences uh, among family. When, and, and if that's you, then Jesus has been there too, and we see this scene here. But, then, but Jesus here, he says something interesting because he says, it's a question, who are my mother and my brothers? See, what he's saying here is that his disciple, he's pointing to them, and he calls them family. We can't miss this. He calls the disciples that are with him. He says, this is my, this is my family too. See, what this highlights here for all of us is that family isn't just by birth. It also comes through new birth. And family isn't just by, by blood. It comes through Christ's blood. And family isn't just biological, again, by birth. It's, it's, it can be a spiritual family by, by new birth. This is something that, that God has set up. We have our family, and that's a wonderful thing. But your church, where you call home, that's also a family. And it's good to think of church as a family. It's good to remember that, that as, as part of the family of God, those of you who said yes to Jesus, you have, you have a loving, perfect, faithful, heavenly Father. And I know for some people, maybe the, the, the dad word sort of triggers something of, of I, just, I, had a, I didn't have that. My earthly dad was not that. And it can you know, bring up emotions and connotations, but to separate from that and to come to Scripture and to say, but who is God? And he is that loving, heavenly Father. You have a Father who loves you. You have brothers and sisters in Christ. We have been adopted. 
That's why adoption is such a beautiful picture, and we're all about adoption here at New Hope because the scriptures are all about adoption. That, that you, all of us, we have been rescued again from the kingdom of darkness and brought into his kingdom, into his kingdom, and we be called children of God. See, everybody's creation of God or created by God, but everybody's a children of God. That becomes when you're a part of the family. And so adoption is part of that. And then as being a part of God's family, we get to experience his blessings, his provision, his promises, and more. All that comes to, to family. See, I want to encourage every single one of us. I actually think it's important. It's healthy and it's good to consider church, your church, to be a family. Yeah, you know, a big, crazy, messy family. And that's what family is, isn't it? Family has all of that. Family has, think of your own family. You, you have, you have the, the wonderful parts and the really hard parts. And family can be messy. In fact, it typically is. And church is the same way. But we're family. And it's important that we think that we are. And, and to try to drive this home, I want to close with an illustration. What's the difference between going to a restaurant and family dinner? Well, stick with me on this. You go to a restaurant, and what happens? You, you go, you, you sit down, and somebody else serves you. Somebody else takes care of everything. And at a restaurant, as you go through that experience, you even, you even can complain. Service was slow. The food was cold. I mean, you, you, we do this. I, I mean, you, you go, and, and that's sort of how it works. You go, you sit, and somebody serves you. You go to family dinner. You sit down. You wait to be served. A couple minutes later, slap on the back of the head, like, hey, get up here. Like, you go stir the soup, and we need the table set. And so you're like, oh, yeah, yeah. And you jump up, and you start getting involved and, and participating and helping with the family dinner. The meal's over, and what do you do? Well, you get up, and you take your dish to the, the kitchen, unless you're a teenager, I suppose. But you get up, you take your dish to the kitchen, and you rinse it off, and you, you help with cleanup. Why? Because it's family. It's, it's family dinner. You see, this is, this is giving us insight into how we're supposed to view church. See, if we treat church like a restaurant, if we treat church like a restaurant, then what happens is our mindset is this. Feed me, serve me, and maybe I'll leave a tip. There are a lot of people in churches all over America today that that's how they view their church. Feed me, serve me, and maybe if I'm in the mood, I'll leave a tip. But that's not what God's called us to. He's called you to a family. And you are in family because you're in Christ. But then he calls the family to gather, to be together. And when it comes to church and it comes to family, see, family means you have a role to play and a part to contribute. See, when it, when it comes to family, what this means is I want to be a part of it. I, I, give me a chore. Give me something to do. Help me be a part of what's going on in the family dynamics. That's what family looks like. And that's what church family is supposed to look like well. Because here's, here's just the reality of it. If your view of church is a restaurant, well, what do we do with restaurants? We come and we go. And we find a better one down the street if we don't like the one we're at. See, the truth is, if your view of church is a restaurant, you won't stay here long. You'll go find another one, a better one, a bigger one, a smaller one, what, fill in the blank, whatever. But church 
And it's not perfect by any means. But when it's your family, that's where you settle in and you call it home. There's no place like home. And that's what I want for you, wherever you call home. I hope it's here, but if it's not, and a place where you say, give me a chore. Give me a part. Because every single one of you has something to contribute. God calls people to churches. It's no accident where you're at. And, and as you come here and you're part of a, of a local church, you have something to contribute. We need you. We need your giftings. The, the Bible calls the, the church the body. And we've got all over a place, watching online this morning, on campus here, we've got noses and elbows and knees and ankles and, and everything else, but we work together to live out the mission to help people find and follow Jesus. And this is a good thing. So I want to close with two questions for you. Here's the first one. Who is Jesus for you? Is he just a, a, a good moral example an inspiring teacher, sort of on par with an Ann Landers column where you get good advice? Is he crazy? Is he evil? I mean, what, who is he for you? Or is he the one you bend the knee to in your life that he is Lord and Savior? And if you're here this morning and, and you're, you're thinking to yourself, I, I don't know. I'm not sure where I'm at with that. I'm just checking things out. I'm so, so glad you're here, whether it's here or online. And if that's you, would you, just on that connection card again, if you're willing, write a question down or say, I'd love to meet with a pastor or I'd love to just wrestle with through some questions. That's why we're here. We would love to do that with you because we want to help you form a conviction ultimately that you come to where you say, you know what? He is who Scripture says he is. He is who he said he is, that he is Lord so don't leave here without considering that. And then the final question, what is church for you? What is it? Is it a place to attend? Is it like a gas station that's a place to come and get filled up and inspired? Is it like a restaurant? Or is it like a family where you get to be a part of it? where you get to contribute to the, the mission and the work of what God's doing here. Because New Hope is not just an Adel church. It's all over Dallas County, the ways that lives are being impacted into where you come and you say, I love that I get to come and I get to soak in and I'm going to go somewhere else, right where God's placed me. I get to do some squeezing. And I get to see just what God wants to do in my life every single day. That surrendered posture of I'm yours and what do you want to accomplish? And if you're here this morning and you are, you're, you're thinking to yourself, I mean, I like the idea of church as a family and I'd like to get to know my family. I, I come on a Sunday and it, it's great, but I don't really know my first step. Like, how do I get to know family? How do I get to know and make friends with people? Well, in your bulletin is mentioned two things. It's on your connection card as well. One of them, and I want to invite you to both. One of them is called the Newcomer Mixer. It's on October 23rd, right after the second service. And it is a great place to make friends because that's what we do. It's a free lunch, and you come, and we spend time together, and there's no, there's no sermon or even big agenda other than we want to get to know each other and spend time together. And if that sounds good, a place to make friends, check the box. We would love to, to have you there, you and your family. Or maybe for you, it's first step. You've made some friends, but you want to know, like, how do I get involved in the life of the church? How do I find my chore? Chore sounds negative, but I mean in a good way. Like, get, how's my part? How do, I, how do I get involved and start using my gifts? First step, that's what it's built for. We take you through a process, and at the end, you say, okay, that's where I get to go. That's where I'm going to plug in. 
And that's what we want for you as well. So you can use the connection card for that as well and check, and check the box. Uh, as, we, as we close here in, in just a moment, we're going to bring somebody up or some buddies. But I want to remind you that we, have, uh, we will have prayer support up here. And so if you just want somebody to pray with about something you're going through, uh, they're up here for you as well. At this time, I'd like to invite up actually a different worship team. Maybe you're wondering, like, what? A different worship team. New Hope actually has another one now. And this is... Uh, and we just celebrated earlier on, Pastor Jake was talking about all the great things happening in student ministry. This is just one example of something that he's doing. I'd like to invite up the youth worship team. If you would come to the stage, please. Let's welcome them. We have uh, three of them today here. This team is led by Owen. Owen is in eighth grade, and he literally leads the team. This is, is, he's doing a wonderful job here, and there's vocalists and, and drummers. And so they play at Amplify. They play at Electrify. Uh, that's the middle school ministry night. And uh, God is just doing an amazing thing. But here, here's the thing I need you to know. This is not a concert. They worship. They worship with all their hearts, and they're here to worship with you. And so in just a second, we're going to stand and we're going to praise God. We're going to worship Jesus, who is great, because that's what they're all about. And so would you just stand with me, please? And I'm going to pray for us real quick, and then we're going to close our service in worship for him who is so, so worthy. Father God, we thank you so much that you are Lord. You are Lord of heaven and earth. You are creator and sustainer. You are our Savior. You are, the strong, you are stronger than the strong man. And there's places in our lives today, I just know that we feel like the strong man has us held captive or has us bound up or has us in places where we feel defeated and it's never going to get any better. But Father, we come and we remember who you are. You defeated sin and death and Satan, that you were victorious on the cross. Then you did that because you became weak on our behalf going to the cross, giving your life in a sacrifice for our sins. This morning we tell you thank you for who you are and how great you are. We praise you and now we worship you with all of our hearts. In Jesus' name, and everyone said, amen. Let's sing, church.
above it all, hallelujah, God, unshakable, hallelujah, you have done great things, hallelujah, God, above it all, hallelujah, God, unshakable, Awesome. Thanks for worshiping with us this morning again. If you'd like to pray, we have, we have folks available this morning. Otherwise, God bless. Have a wonderful week. Should we do it again?